This is Anthony de Blasi. You're listening to the Creepy Crap Podcast. This program is intended for mature audiences. Parental discretion is advised. Like, he's there, but he's bad and he's evil and everything else. But he's still good. The dingo's got my baby! Oh, I can tell you. Then I have to kill you. We all enjoy our veggie rifle. You've just tuned into the Creepy Crap Podcast, the Australian horror podcast hosted by Daniel Craig. So it's time to pour yourself a glass of rainwater from the top end, grab a few shrimp off the barbie, and let's start the show. Welcome Creepy Crapsters to the Creepy Crap Podcast, Australia's favourite horror podcast with your host Daniel Craig. We've got a very special guest episode today, we've got Anthony de Blasi, the director of so many things. I'm going to shoot a couple off for you so you know what I'm talking about. He's the director of Dread, Katadega, Missionary, The Profane Exhibit, Last Shift, Most Likely to Die, and Extremity. Yes, Anthony de Blasi is on the Creepy Crap Podcast, the Australian horror podcast. I cannot believe it, cannot believe I'm talking. Talking to you. Welcome to the show, Anthony DeBlasi. Thank you so much for coming on the Creepy Crap Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Can't believe it. You've watched the movies. I'm like, oh my god, it's the director. What was your first experience with horror? That was the moment you were like, this is what I want to spend my life doing. Well, you know, you know, my dad's like a big movie buff. He liked monster movies, you know, like classic Universal stuff a lot. So I was like one of those kids that was watching horror movies at like, you know, two years old, a really young age. I was watching like The Shining, and and um, you know, we saw Nightmare on Elm Street when it came out. I don't know, I was like seven. I loved the special effects. I was really fascinated with the lost boys and american werewolf in london and fright night really effects heavy movies so when i was younger i was like oh i want to get in special effect and that kind of transitioned over time always being interested in movies wanting to direct and kind of get your hands in everything that's where it came from it's really you know i'm still obsessed with effects and special effects and it sounds like you really like seeing someone's face change it's just that's amazing to you how can you go from normal to like suddenly a wolf or a vampire or something like that it's definitely an obsession of mine. It's Halloween time and there's no Halloween events. So I've been hunting for vintage decorations on like eBay. And there was just, you know, these masks that I I was looking at these old pictures because I had all these old pictures when I was a kid. I was like, oh, I was like, that would be a great makeup because they don't make these old masks anymore. Like looking at these old pictures of like vampires and werewolves in my old place. Did you find some? Oh yeah, I'm bidding on some right now. Good luck. (laughs) It's it's stressful. I didn't realize this when I first watched it. Dread's one of my favorites. I, I love this a lot. Um, Thank you. I noticed that you started your career, like you started at the top. What the hell? Like you started working with Clive Barker. That crazy. How did that experience begin? Like, how did you end up working with him? It said something like you worked with him for 10 years. I did. Yeah. I Listen, I, it was just how? luck. Honestly, it was like, <laughs> I grew up in Boston. I went to Boston's like the sister city to Sydney, isn't it? That's what they always say. I don't know. Could be. But, but I, I went to uh, Emerson, which is a film school there. And the great thing about Emerson is, they have a, a program that you can go to Los Angeles or you can go to to the Netherlands or something. I don't know why, but you could go to LA either your junior or senior year for a semester. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to LA my last semester and just stay. You know, you do a, an internship program and you don't have to pay any extra money. It's you okay, sign yeah. up and say, hey, my last semester, I want to do it in Los Angeles. And that's the whole reason I went to Emerson. I'm like, who would not take that opportunity? If it's your last semester, you finish and then essentially you're just hoping it continues oh, onwards. Yeah, to- yeah. 
Yeah, career exactly. Afterwards. Right. I, I was always really confused when people would go their like junior year. I'm, why? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, if you want to work in entertainment, you know, go and don't come back. But to do it, you had to secure an internship while you were here. So I was in LA taking classes and then, you know, you have like 20 days to like secure an internship or something. So I actually started, I got an internship at Marvel just by chance. And Marvel at that time, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man had not come out yet. Oh, so it was like it was right like on that, early with Marvel wasn't yeah, uh, so massive. Like the, the superpower point. yet, right? They But you know, they, they had like they what, had, Blade at that point? Blade, yeah, a Blade, couple other little random Blade ones. and like X-Men, the first. So they had, and those were with the other studios. This was Marvel proper. So they were, it was a tiny office in Santa Monica. So I got this internship. It was funny too, because when I did the meeting, I was like, listen, I don't really read Marvel comics. I read DC. I was a comic fan, but I was a big DC fan. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> well, you know, it was like, I took, I, it was a risk saying that, but I want, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to lie. I was Be obviously, honest. I was a fan of Marvel. And I knew all the properties because I was pretty well versed in comic books as a whole, but I was like Batman fan, a diehard like DC fan, but I knew enough about Marvel. It was really just making a lot of photocopies for packets for, for like the actors because they were trying to launch all these characters. They didn't have that big hit yet with Spider-Man. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> to be like this point now, you that'd take millions of people trying to get that one little job. No, I know, right? Now, yeah, now it'd be impossible. But back then it was, I had all this extra time on my hands because I was doing that internship. I only had one class. I didn't think the Marvel thing would lead to a job because there wasn't a lot going on. It wasn't that busy. So I, it was like, hey, is there anything? I was talking to my like advisors down there. I was like, I'd love to get into horror I, or even special effects. Said, is there any connections you have at like these companies? And she, she threw, you know, like Wes Craven's company, Clive Barker's company, John Carpenter's company, all the big names, right? But it wasn't like, oh, here, go get an internship. It was at, at Clive's company. There was an Emerson and a lump. He had gone to Emerson. He was from the East Coast. Joe Daly, who was is the producer on those early movies, like he was the producer on Dread. He was from the East Coast and he had gone to Emerson for like a year or a semester. So I reached out to him and I just harassed him. I'm like, and he was getting busy. They, We're brothers. I, yeah, I was like, hey, I'm from Boston. You know, eventually he was like, why don't you come in for a meeting? But I had no idea Clive was going to be in that meeting. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like, so, so it was literally at his house. It was, and that's, you know, for years we worked out of his house. Oh, wow. He had like a couple houses in a row and one of them was like he had turned into an office. So I go up to this house and it was just fortuitous. He was like, I'm going to come. He sat down and I just got along with all of them really well. And I think ultimately, we, you know, Clive was a big fan. Of, he was a big comic book reader. So we talked about comics and art. And we got along. We had this, a lot of the same interests. And also, and I think the thing that was good is I was not a super fan of Clive. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't. Oh, uh, yeah. I, you're not gushing over him to the point where he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I, you know, I wasn't like I loved, you know, I loved Candyman. And I obviously had seen all his movies, but I wasn't like, oh, my God, Hellraiser's my most favorite movie ever. Please hire me. What, you know, was more it was interesting because it was fortuitous that Nightmare on Elm Street box set came out on DVD that summer. I had it in California and all roommates and I were watching all the special features. That original box set had this great, I don't, I don't know, if it was like, like 12 hours of special features on it. And Clive just happened to be on it. And he talked a lot. Felt like I had all this window who he was personally and his interests. I knew that we would kind of get along and, you know, and we did. We got along really well all those years I was there. And he's a a renaissance man in, in terms of like he he does photography he writes novels obviously he makes movies he paints you know creating monsters and all this different stuff to his what an 
imagination, hey. <laughs> like he couldn't contain it. He was on a different level with that, with that stuff. And also he was kind of a recluse. You know, he never really left his houses there in that area because he was just constantly creating something. That's so cool. I just wanted to ask that. You were like the guy who walked away from Marvel. Like Marvel's like, hey, you want some stock options and stuff like that? You're like, nah, you guys aren't nah, really um, guys going don't... anywhere. <laughs> no, I mean, it wasn't like that. I mean, I finished, I was doing both for like a couple months or a month. I was interning at both places. And then, you know, my intern at Marvel stopped. And I was actually at Marvel when Joe called me and offered me a job there. So oh, I was okay. like, so oh shit. Like, <laughs> they no. were like, we need you, we want you. And you're like, no thanks. You see what no. happens like 20 years later, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> what have they I done? would never hire me. I was a DC fan. Forget it. They were, oh, okay. That's... They secretly resented me. <laughs> they I drew this picture. It sucks. Yeah, I, mean, I always wonder if when I left, I drew this picture of myself as Dr. Octopus and they like hung it on the wall. I was already, I'm like, I was wondering, I'm like, maybe that's still on the wall somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah. I doubt it. But <laughs> I was going to ask with Dread. It's one of the darkest, grim horror movies I've ever seen. I, I saw it ages ago and I love it. It's, I feel like it's kind of an underrated suggestion to people. Like, you're just like, yeah. hey, check this out. How did you find how horror fans reacted to that movie? I think it got, it was reviewed, it was uh, reviewed well. Like, I remember when it came out, I think reviewers really dug it. It never really connected with a mainstream audience just because it's, the, I don't know how many eyes got on Dread because obviously it's a Clive movie. I think it, it's always going to have legs. And I think it will probably have, you know, another life in the years to come, you know, when they do like Barker box sets or things like that. I don't think it ever found like a very big audience because not a lot of people want to watch horror movies like that. And that's fine. I love movies like fun, like a movie like Funny Games. Like I love that kind of shit. A lot of people don't want to watch horror movie that is disturbing or, <laughs> or emotional or like makes people deal with actual, oh, I don't like where this is going, like abuse and things like that. You know, most people I think want to watch a horror movie on a Friday night, you know, yeah. to try to get laid or like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, my girlfriend's going to get scared and then we're going to hold each other, you know. Yeah, it's not really <laughs> setting the tone for anything. <laughs> yeah, Dread does not set the mood for <laughs> for getting laid. Um, I, and it's I not, it's it. not, you are, well, 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 good, you met the right way. No, oh, she I doesn't. mean, I love, <laughs> I, I was really happy. Aspect at all. <laughs> no, I was always really happy with Dread. And yeah, yeah I think like re re reviewers liked it, but like, I think the mainstream, like a mainstream was like, oh, this is dark. Or, or yeah, because the concept yeah. of putting the people's fears against them in a setting that it wasn't supernatural. It wasn't like there was their nightmares coming to life. It was just, you used so little to make such an impact in that movie. I've kind of like, you didn't have to do anything. It was just literally that guy doesn't like sound. So put a gun next to his ears or she's yeah. worried about his skin. And was most of that vision all yours? Or did, did you have full creative control of the movie in that aspect of how it came out on film? Yeah, so Dread, and I'll give you the short version of a really long story. We had Dread at Fox Studios for a long time. That's before I was attached to direct it. We had set it up at Fox. And the thing was, is that Fox really wanted this PG-13 college movie. Because they were like, it's college kids. It should be PG-13, more of a psychological thriller. And the first thing they wanted to cut out was the that meat sequence. And the oh, meat sequence- like the best. Well, it, it is. I mean, the short story is like 30 pages. And it, the whole crux of that- to get through this one. The whole crux of that short story is that meat sequence. And the meat sequence, I kept in the movie almost word for word. So that part of the movie is almost taken directly from the short story. Now, the rest of the movie, you know, I, I changed some characters around. I changed the ending. I added the Abby character, the one with the birthmark. She's not in the short story. I added the sexual abuse for Cheryl, the one who's afraid of the meat. That's not in the short story. She's she's just like a vegan in the short story. So Because it was reminds her of a dad or something, right? Yeah. So I want 
wanted to make it more personal, meaning like it would be very traumatic. It wasn't just a test of wills, which it is, but it was also something very traumatic for her in the movie. We finally got it away from Fox and said, all right, I want to do this. I want to adapt it, you know, a, a true representation of it and obviously build it out to a feature length, but like stay true to the themes. And then we produced it with this company in London and we shot it in the UK, in London. And Oh, that explains why, yeah, the, the main guy in it, I remember seeing it a few things like English yeah. shows and I was like oh did he come over or was it? Oh, yeah okay, that makes sense. Sean Evans he's like on one of their big shows like Endeavor right he's an English actor and like and then Laura Donnelly is an Irish actor she's the one that plays Abby um, oh so it's just Rathbone or whatever was he he's American isn't he, he Rathbone's American yeah Jackson okay. and then uh, the actress that plays Cheryl she was actually living in London but is American oh, okay. um, but most of the actors are are from the UK or, or Ireland yeah because um, I remember seeing him he was in like a like a four episode series with Tom Hardy or something like ages ago and I was like this guy's English he's English yeah we had really strong control over it because it was just as kind of a tight-knit group we were essentially independently producing it so we weren't under a studio at that point just it was UK money and it was an old contact that Clive had from Hellraiser and we kind of built it out that way did you have to like literally leave a stake out for that whole scene or was uh, we it- did you know we actually what I did was I went and we bought a big slab we bought a stake you know one of the butchers in London and then the effects guys left it out and let it rot and then like every three days or every like probably every day day and a half they took a cast they took a mold of the stake and they, so that so that when we shot the scene they would have a progression of this real stake you know so so we did have a stake we had we had a stake that was cooked for the f- opening sequence and then for the rest of it they used like a silicone stake but it was cast after that real stake that had rotted and the maggots were actually the maggots that grew on that rotting stake we used the maggots that they <laughs> they self-grew <laughs> that's horrible yeah it's that horrible is, it was that's such a great scene though i love that like the whole like she's sitting there for ages i guess the whole concept is that she won't eat it because i was like i would have ate that in probably five minutes and been like can i have I another one <laughs> and well and that's what's When's great dinner? about yeah what it's like the short story and you should read the short story you'll see like yeah what's I, great about the short story and what's so cool about and why i like that one so much is the, the whole concept of like dread it's not fear it's not like oh i'm afraid dread is something that you dread doing it's like i don't want to do this right so you know in the short story and in the movie they're friends so there's this weird dynamic between them that's like okay you're just i know you're a dickhead you're and you're being an asshole and you're locking me in this room well i'm not gonna eat this meat at some but, point she assumes he'll probably be like no you, you can yeah, he's gonna out. let me out and but then as time goes what's happening the longer she waits the worse it's getting to me it was it which drove us nuts at the studios because it was like guys this is like the crux of the story the whole concept of it's like the longer you wait to face this the worse it's gonna get and it was such a poetic way to visually tell that on screen of this rotting piece of meat that she eventually just sits down and has to eat it yeah it's a nice sort of like a visual clock of what's happening (laughs) well okay it's got maggots now and as the steak degrades so is her like mental state i guess because she's just freaking out yeah and you just think at the end you're like i wonder like when they throw the body in there and it's just like it kind of ends with that and you just it's such a good line I, what it, I think it's like something like let's see how long it takes you to have go to through this through one that, yeah. yeah oh that's the ending of that and you're just like oh my god this is why this movie's amazing that's why I always like try to tell people like you know I'll oh, give us a movie that's not like everyone I've seen a million times you go go see Dread it's dark like, but it's you know, a great the, movie and you know Clive he liked really liked the script adaptation of course he signed off on it and you know he was on set for a good portion of of production the short 
Hart story does not end that way. And I, I got, we did get a lot of flack from like the Die Hard, but it's like, you know, it's such a small number of people that are actually, you know, complaining oh, yeah. about the short story, right? There's not. It wasn't in the book. The, yeah, well, exactly. It wasn't in the book because it, the, in the book, not to ruin it for you, but I'm going to ruin it for you. Like in the oh, book. That's what I go for. <laughs> yeah, he dies in the book. What happens with the guy who goes deaf, that's the main character in the short story. His name's that the Steven character is the deaf. Oh, and he okay. ends up, he ends up killing Quaid with this axe. And the axe was completely arbitrary in the short story. So I, I really felt like, well, let me tie this axe man into Quaid's backstory. Cause in this short story, he doesn't have a backstory. The, it's the opposite thing that happens. You know, it was like, I just couldn't kill that character. I just felt like Quaid was, he earned the right to like, to live through this. That you know? ear thing is brutal. I hate that. I used to hate when people like kids thought it was funny. They'd come up and sort of, you know, smack your ears or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, like they ring for ages. You're like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? To do it with fucking like a shoot a gun next to someone's head. You're just like, oh God. <laughs> that part was almost like the worst thing to watch. You're just like, oh. And all you can hear is that ringing and it's like that poor guy and it's just bleeding. It's so bad. <laughs> Can't believe I'm talking we, to the guy who made Dread. <laughs> I mean, we got really lucky with Dread because we had, when you shoot a movie in the UK, you have way more resources than you would have if you shot it in the States because we had this amazing casting director and then our sound team had just come off a slumdog millionaire. Oh, wow. So, you know, we had this incredible sound team that I, you know, couldn't imagine having. Doing a horror movie in the States, you wouldn't end up with the, the sound team that did slumdog. Yeah. Millionaire, you know? Did you show up to the <laughs> place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I move on to the one that I've seen on Shutter recently, The Last Shift. I think this is what I initially started talking to you about. Congratulations! This movie—I meant like it came out in 2014, I think—but it was. This is such a creepy ass movie. And was Thank this you. filmed in an old PlayStation, or is this purely a set? It was. We shot it in 2014. I, it came out, I think, the Halloween of 2015. We shot it in in Florida, and we wrote the movie around this abandoned police station that we found in a place called Sanford, Florida. So we actually had the location before we finished the script. So then we started to cater the script around that location. You know, some people see it and they're like, this doesn't look like a police station, but it was. It was an, it was an actual police station. No, the setup of it and everything in it looks like it kind of was because at first you look at it and you're like, this is like a new police station. But then, I don't know, you look at the bathrooms and everything else in the movie and you're like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. It was a really unique kind of setup because because that hallway was just, you know, astronomically long. And then they had the holding cells in the back. Can I ask what the secrets, yeah. or maybe I just didn't get exactly, what was the go with the guy at the beginning? Is he haunted the, by this place as well? Or yeah. I don't think there was anyone in there, was there? He's, I wanted to just set up this really strange, and if you watch it and you'll see, right? So when she comes down that hallway and you got this guy and he's like coming around the corner and hitting the lockers, what he's been dealing with is these ghosts, essentially. The, everyone and he they kind of reveal it later that like the real reason they shut this place down was because it was haunted oh the phone like, call thing was the, I, yeah. I lose track of what's reality with her what's yeah what's real and what's not who i mean i still don't know no <laughs> but that is what we were going for we just wanted this really strange beginning and if you notice when he comes down the hall he tells her to turn around yeah because he wants to see you know and and i think lots of people you know some people watch it and be like oh he's just you know checking her out but what he's with that cop that we see later that his head's blown off he's oh, telling her to turn around wow. because he wants to see like is she real you yeah, know is she a human listening you know? to me she must be a real person yeah like totally 
insight. Yeah, that's what we were going for there. Yeah, because it's so strange because it wasn't like he just, I thought he was going to like maybe throw something away or I didn't think about the checking her out part, but what's he doing that he has to quickly like, don't look at me for a second. And I thought, was he changing his face or some shit? Because he sort of comes out of the shadows at that point. That answers that completely. The other question I was wondering about the actual police station was, is the building haunted or is it just that the cult dying there made the place haunted? Did you have much of like a sort of an unseen history of the place? It was the cult committing suicide there, which created that haunting. That's what we were going for in our heads. We still want to do like a sequel. So, you know, who knows? We might explore some of that. Oh, Um, okay. It's a great movie. The effects thing you've said now kind of leads up to what I was going to ask you. Again, it's like those creaturey people, like the girl, the little one who crawls on the floor and then the sort of the big mouth, no eyes one. I was like, how long did it take to create those things? That look was crazy. I, I can't think of a good word to describe it. I was like, yeah, it wow. was a long <laughs> girl. She was probably in makeup for like five hours, five or six hours. I mean, those like heavy due to makeup applications take quite a while. My wife um, walked in right when that scene was happening and she was just like, fuck this and walked away. She's like, yeah. no, no, no way. <laughs> no, nope, I was nope, like, I'm out. I was like, well, you scared someone straight away. Good work. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Just um, leave it on. Did you create that yourself or someone else? Was that like your love of special effects coming into did, that one? I did like early sketches of the a lot of the main things and then Lee Grimes created you know like he talked to him about doing the teeth up on the forehead and things like that and like how a general sense of what we wanted to it to look like and then he created it you know he like sculpts it and, and he did some sketches as well and then the main character I did sketches for both the, the whole costume and the hooded guy with the hood and without the hood the guy with the eyes so Jay LaRose who played you know it's funny because the effect I referenced in that because it was always an effect I really loved was from Total Recall when they they like fall off on Mars and they're like their eyes are like popping oh, out. Oh yeah, eyes. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like it's like kinda, popping out. Yeah, like it's kind of corny, but I just really loved it. I think it's like a striking image. So that was like my reference to that. I was like, I really liked. Oh, and it was also like these um acid victims who had like been in acid attacks. Oh okay, because I was gonna ask, what's your connection with Jayla Rose? Because I noticed he's in like most of your movies. He good friends yeah. or something, or just so weird coincidence? Do you know? So Darren Bowsman, who directed the Saw films. Yeah. Um, so Jay, when he found out I was in Florida, because I did a movie called Casadega in Florida, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, a good friend of mine, Jay LaRose, because Darren went to school in Florida, uh, went to film school in Florida. And he said, a good friend of mine, Jay LaRose is down there. You know, you should audition him. And he came in and I met him on that movie. And I've like tried to put him in every one of my movies since. I just really like Jay. I really yeah. like to have him around and he's a great actor and he, you know, he's great to work with. So he's literally almost in all of my movies. Yeah, I noticed I looked at the filmography and it was just like virtually everything after Dread he was in. I was just like, yeah. wow. I'm like, that's the hook guy from Saw. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, it was because of Darren. This is the interpretation with the movies, I guess, because I'm like, from what I can guess, she did kill the bio guys and then she did get shot or is it, did you purposely leave it sort of mysterious as, is she actually dead because then the other guys show up, the three of them, as if like they're going to put a hood over her head and like, you're with us now. I'm like, is she a ghost now or can you well, I, elaborate I, at all. <laughs> I think when we, oh yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, when we, when, you know, Scott and I wrote that, we wanted it to be up for interpretation. We also didn't, you know, I wanted to get out of the movie. She does get shot by the cop. She did kill those guys. And again, this is our interpretation of it. Because a lot, because you could watch it and be like, you know, this is all in her head. Yeah. You know, it, it has that kind of psychological spin. As filmmakers, we were doing it as a true haunting movie. And they were using her like demons against her, her like stuff with her father and stuff. And then at the end, they, essentially set her up to commit murder 
and then she gets shot by the other cop. Oh, and I okay, think yeah. essentially she transitions into one of them. You know, she's like, I'm, you know, under uh, she he she kind of becomes part of the cult in a way. Yeah, that's because she starts kind of singing like in that, and then it kind of assumes she's she's kind of dying, and then they're like, Hey, before you die, you're with us yeah. now. Like you're you're with us now. Yeah, I love it because like she might keep... be alive. <laughs> she may be alive in the sequel. We'll see. Yeah, that's her thought, and you never see if die on the screen or anything like that. So it's, I didn't realize that was the sequel or plans potentially. That's so cool because yeah, it really leaves. There's a lot of this movie throughout the whole thing where it's just kind of like one of those. Is this? Did this happen? Like, and then you yeah. watch it again. You're like, I'm gonna look for it next time. And then you kind of wait. Did that part happen? Like, yeah, you got the vibe there. But I'm like, why was the sergeant suddenly in the place, or she just wasn't in the mindset to know he he probably's like, hello, like you know, he walked in and she had no idea, sort of thing. And yeah, and, and I mean, you know, it, that's also he's kind of sets it up early. He's like, I'm gonna be back at this time, you know, to to like relieve you. Oh uh, yeah, it does it. Yeah. So essentially, that's you know, kind of when he comes back because it's a, it happens at four o'clock, and I didn't realize that must have been when he was coming because that was the time they're like we're going to be here from 10 to 4 o'clock and this seems to be the hours where she's haunted as well so yeah, it's yeah. a perfect time for them to be oh well, we'll disguise the bio clean guys as cult members and then you'll do all this shit there's so many scenes in there like what was the girl smoking outside I'm really into these two movies I haven't seen no, too totally. many of the other ones yet they're not readily available over here sadly was the girl outside anything at all or just a random like are these kind of like misdirections at the moment to make you feel like is this person real or yeah I mean so her story that's Marigold and that's my wife Natalie um, oh okay so she the part that she plays is essentially when she tells that story you know she is telling the character what actually happened you know like when I was here that night that they committed suicide in the cell she's kind of in that moment she's kind of fucking with her a bit she's kind of fucking with a cop because she's a prostitute and she's hanging out there's also that room for interpretation is she one of them just yeah. a living one I always intended her to be living there is that kind of room for interpretation if she is she also one of those followers because yeah, a lot it of them kind are of seemed like it was adding to the putting a few more facts in her head that this is a ghost mm -hmm. thing and her dad did do it and all this sort of stuff because they're like oh no it was an accident they were bragging about it so yeah. when all this stuff starts messing with her in their head more she's kind of like oh yeah it yeah. was adding to her losing it a little bit more well yeah and i think that's good. what's good about like when i wanted to make a movie that was in a, that first person point of view so like everything is with the juliana harkavy character offers Lauren so audience members like yourself are always gonna be like well what's really going on you know I wanted her people to be off kilter just like she is because if, if you keep it in that first person point of view then you learn things when she learns things and it almost becomes like a, a ride you know I think that's and that's really when I, when I talked to the producer about it I was like I wanted to make this just this 90 minute kind of fun house horror ride you know like an old carnival you know yeah. fun like something that would just scare people and you succeeded and you know, almost like a video almost like playing a video game you're like with this one character and that's why we did a lot of like follow shots and things like that yeah it's great it's really a real sort of mind fuckers obviously it's like because i'm sitting here i've watched it a few times now since I, we finally got shutter here in australia like a couple yeah. months ago so this is like a good way of getting the movie i'm like i can finally see something which it was new to me even though it came out like six years ago it's just like oh this is so good but yeah really sort of hey. messes with your head and all that sort of stuff yeah thank you i sure. i really did not understand like the more times you watch it it's one of those layered ones almost where you, you get to enjoy it more because you don't fully it's not laid out to you on a platter going here's what's happening here's this scene this scene there's a lot of mystery to it 
Is there an actor or an actress, past or present, anything like that, that if you got that one person, you're like, oh, if only. Yes. You know, I don't want to say it because I'm actually, well, I may make a movie with this person. So I'm not going to, I don't want to jinx it. Oh, okay. I'll call, yeah, you, no. I'll call you after. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll like, tell you. The one who's in the lead. That was the yeah, answer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's the answer. It happened. <laughs> Is there a sequel you'd like to make of a movie or a remake? Or if you could do like a spinoff for one character, is there any of those sort of movies you if someone was allowing you to do one is there any of those sort of like continuations of a movie i I love to do another scream movie that would definitely be a a type i really like that series i think i I really like the characters in the scream series i would really like to make a predator prequel i love predator and i i I always thought it would be cool to see the story because because you could use the same predator to see the story that happened before arnold schwarzenegger got there that'd be pretty sweet so i was like I, I would love to make a Predator prequel. I did a podcast where we talked about Predator a lot. Predator being, in reality, a horror movie, essentially, yeah. right? It's a it's a stalker slasher film. There's it, a lot more horrors that are considered horror that are less horror than Predator, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. You know, I think because our, our Schwarzenegger's in it, it always gets thrown into the action you know, genre. But in reality, it's a horror. It's a monster yeah. movie. Alien gets in that same boat where people were like, well, it's a horror movie. They're like, no, it's space. And it's space. <laughs> there's so many arguments for these movies where <laughs> I think Alien Jason and Predator X? both get that. Um, what do you like to do in spare time? Are you always focused on movie stuff? Do anything else to unwind? I like collectibles. I could do like a lot of uh, like Hot Toys collectibles, which is this company in China and like vintage Halloween stuff. I, I, I'm i a big like collectible guy. My buddy and I were talking about maybe doing a podcast about collectibles. My wife always calls calls me Geppetto because that's how I'm like like modifying things like that and painting. I drew a lot when I was younger. I usually I don't do it now unless I'm doing it for a movie or like doing storyboards or something. But I still enjoy that kind of stuff. But I feel like I write so much now. And like my my wife and I write together a lot too. So I feel like that's yeah. even though it's still in the business, it's it's like what if, if I have spare time I try to write. Yeah, that's cool. I wasn't sure like like that's your passion. It's like why would you differ all the time, I guess. That's pretty cool have you got a couple favorite movies that are just to you they're like this is a masterpiece yeah one of my favorite movies is once upon a time in america which is it's a oh yeah sergio leone film and um i I saw that movie really young de niro right yeah de niro and james woods and and morricone did the score and you know he had come off it's in the same in vain of tarantino's right homage to those movies with once upon a time in hollywood of you know once upon a time in the west and once upon a time in america i love both those movies but once upon a time in america it was like the gangster era i, I love that movie and the score to that movie and i'm like a huge fan of robocop paul verhoeven was actually I, I i didn't talk to him but he at the home depot a few weeks ago and i heard paul verhoeven talk and i'm because he's got oh. such a distinct <laughs> voice i turned around and it, he was in line with like this tr- you know with a couple of people this truckload of wood I'm like, oh my god, it's Paul Verhoeven at Home Depot during coronavirus. It was. Uh, it was he doesn't weird. work there now, does he? Though. <laughs> Uh, no, times. I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I wish he would make another American movie. You know, I think he, I think he's got one more American satire in him. But I love RoboCop, and you know, Predator, I love, and uh, Brokeback Mountain, I love. I love. I think Brokeback Mountain is one of my favorite films too. I could watch that. I've seen that movie a ton of times. I have an eclectic taste. All different. Yeah. You never know what someone's going to answer when you ask that sort of question. Like it sounds like such a like a you've heard it a billion times a question, but at least my sake, it's nice to hear. <laughs> I mean, I love movies, and I. 
you know, I was drawn to horror and I love horror because I think it allows you to do so much in one thing. There's not a lot of genres where you can scare people, where you can make people cry, where you can make people laugh, where you get to set up these cool shots and, and be very creative with lighting and costume and also have really great creativity with, with makeup and special makeup effects and stuff. Horror, you can do all those things in one movie, you know, so... So it's a really fun genre to write and to make. And like at the end of the day, I like scaring people. Like I'm I'm that person in my friends group that if you're walking off by yourself, I'm not oh, trying yeah. to scare you, you know? <laughs> like I'm gonna like stand there, you I'm know, gonna jump in the bush. Yeah. Like even I like fuck with my friends on like messages. I'll send them like this creepy picture and they'll be like, that's creepy. And I'll be like, what's creepy? And, like that picture you just sent me. Oh. I'm like, I didn't send you a picture. Yeah, and I, I'm like, see how long I can keep that going, right? I didn't send like, anything. <laughs> I didn't send you anything. What are you talking? I'd, I'd be like, oh man, my phone got hacked like last week. I wonder <laughs> if it has something to do with that. I just like fucking with people. So I, at, you know, the horror genre is just perfect to do all these things. Uh, you sound like you're in your element. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before like we just finish it up, did you want to talk about any of your if you've got some upcoming projects or that sort of stuff? Like what's uh what's in the future for you? Well, the, I mean, the last movie I just I, I released was Extremity, which is also on Shutter. I don't know if it's on shutter in australia it's not. <laughs> it's not all right so i was trying to find it before i uh what shrimp, it's a good halloween movie to watch um and then also facing I, fears though is that from what i saw she's y- yeah it is you know, fears it, in a haunt house it's interesting because i did that i really thought it would be a nice chapter closer to a like almost like a, a decade of my life in the sense that i it had it deals with the same things dread does and it's a very similar movie to dread um but from a different a completely different point of view so you would probably like it and that's why i, I did that movie it, it was it deals with a lot of the same things it's almost cut from the same cloth it's a psychological thriller you know it's not something i would define as like you know that pleasant it's not the kind of movie you're gonna laugh and cheer at it's like don't take the know, girl to it either yeah yeah it was it's meant to be kind of heavy and in a non-linear kind of way and then I, i've did, been do- yeah <laughs> see if you can find it check it out and then i've just been writing you know i've been doing a couple non-horror things so essentially corona's kind of held you from actually you can like plan a bunch of stuff but you can't put anything out there yet because oh yeah it's don't have the abilities at the moment no not yet i think like right now it's like we're gearing up a lot of the tv shows are getting back in action like my buddy's a dp he's on uh, that show doom patrol he's about to start in november which i think is weird like let's start before the holidays (laughs) but you know i you have to start eventually but going to school on the last day of school (laughs) yeah exactly you know so things are gearing up i i don't i'm not in tv so it's like with features if i feel like it's it's going to be a little while longer for for things that at least if it's shooting internationally then things are gearing up but but in the states i don't think any of the big features are shooting right now well come over here and film because you could do whatever you like (laughs) i I mean yeah the wild west over here how is the film industry in australia i'm not sure but i think it's like if you do it within the state you live you're probably sweet because the the borders between the states are still closed but it's kind of once you're you're free once you're in that state if that makes sense like gotcha okay yes i don't know i don't film (laughs) well which you know like best i can answer without knowing if a bigger production goes to australia they'd probably be hopping all over the place oh yeah they'd probably got whatever freedom they like yeah i guess so like the biggest thing was like tom hanks we gave we got that a claim of fame i think um tom hanks got corona from here oh that's right that's right that's your fault yeah 
national treasure. <laughs> I know. It was like, oh god, if he didn't like survive that, that would have been like, Australia just suddenly off the map. Yeah, damn it. This is we true. Love you. He did that. He's doing that western right now. Yeah, I think that's they shoot, probably why they he was shoot here. That yeah, that's right. Because I'm like, they, they, I love westerns. I'm like, they do shoot a lot of westerns. Yeah, because we got a good blend of like that outback is nice and deserty looking. So I guess it passes for over there, wherever, unless it's meant to be set here. I don't yeah. know. I don't know much about it. <laughs> it might. It might. I mean, that you know, it, hey, you live there. You should know this stuff. Yeah, but like, know. you know, Australia was a lot like the Wild West, and you know, it was very similar. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like the history wise. Yeah. I thought you meant the movie. Wise, I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know much about it. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but history wise, like it was. Yeah, it was pretty much it, yeah, similar. At least that's what the movies make it seem like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they keep doing movies here, like early ones. They, if you ever see them, I don't know. Anything about Tasmania, the area itself is it's a horror movie. They just they keep making movies about just getting lost in the wilderness, and it's just so bad. It could be a time yeah. piece. It could be right now. It's don't go to Tasmania. Don't go to Tasmania. <laughs> I won't. It's nice. Just don't go in the bush. I guess. I mean, I've seen Wolf Creek. I'm not going over there. <laughs> I was gonna ask that if if that's like. A pretty universal thought over there of yeah. Wolf Creek's like, oh, you've ruined uh, tourism. It's like, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Just don't go Wolf in the Freak. outback. Wolf Creek ruined it for everyone. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Now, if, now, if they do another Crocodile Dundee movie, then you know tourism might pick up. They did just make one. It didn't go very well. <laughs> did they really? Yeah, it was like Crocodile Dundee, or I don't know. It's like the fourth one, and it's literally him as the actor playing Crocodile Dundee, trying to like make it in LA, but he just keeps doing this series of like uh. fucking up, and he just keeps doing like he he's talking about something where it's like Crocodile Dundee's son was meant to be was going to be played by Will Smith, and he He's kind of like, no, that, and they spin it to make him sound like a racist. And then he goes on like a, a drive to the city and he looks like he's a drunk. He stole a car. It just, everything keeps getting taken the wrong way and he's just getting worse and worse. And then he finally has to try to redeem himself. I think I have to find this. Movie. Yeah. It's on our prime video. I don't know if it was on there as well. Oh, wow. I'm going to, I'm going to check. Everything's on prime. Prime's yeah. got everything. It's, it's filmed in your town. I didn't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't it. think it, it didn't have the same. It wasn't like, like, are you call that a knife sort of thing? Yeah, and it wasn't wasn't the classic. No, it's not a hit. It wasn't like, it was a shame because I mean, that Danny McBride one, if you saw the ad with that, and I think yeah. Chris Hemsworth, it was like, that was the movie people wanted. They wanted that one, yeah. <laughs> they kind of rode off the, the fame of that and made their own movie and didn't include That's them. That's like, I didn't even know. I thought that was it. Like, cause I, you know, that was a joke and everyone was like, we were all psyched. We we're like, yeah, they're doing it. <laughs> so I didn't know. I didn't know they actually did one. Yeah, I mean, they had so much potential if they had followed that up if that was i'm sure people would have got involved to be like yes this is awesome his son's in america bring him over and do whatever else but no they they didn't do that they made their own but that maybe that's still a plan for them and they're like oh the the movie you oh, yeah. actually it, wanted i see it the very excellent mr dundee 2020 yeah. holy shit yeah if you really yeah. love that character like approach it with caution i guess <laughs> oh like chevy chase and mel gibson and luke so all these people are in it i mean i'll check it out yeah there's a lot of cameos in there it's pretty it's, rich I mean, it's with got that a ton sort of, of cameos stuff. but Newman you're telling me Seinfeld's sucks, in there still, for quite I'll a while still, uh, i'll still check it out all right man well thank you so cool. much for coming on the creepy crap podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to have so good Thanks to talk to you about me. those movies and you were amazing to talk to you were so so many insights to the movies like i mean if i can't provide normally. the insights why am i here I mean, I was there, so I should know <laughs> the insights. Yeah. You're the best source to go to. <laughs> it's good. If I didn't have those answers, we'd be in trouble. Absolutely but amazing.
amazing. But thanks, man. Like, that was great. I yeah, never know how to wrap these up, up but yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's Anthony like, the you for coming end on. record. <laughs> end record. Oh, I, I never press record. No. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. Like, Could you just like uh, repeat all those answers again? Thank you, uh, Anthony de Blasi, for coming on the Creepy Crap Podcast. It's been an absolute honor talking to you. You are a legend and your movies are amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. You've just been on the biggest train horror podcast in the country. Yes. I love it. The myth, the legend. But thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's yeah, been great welcome. talking to you. Really enjoyed great. this. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. If you've liked what you've heard today and want to reach out to the Creepy Crap Podcast, here's how you can do it. You can reach me at Twitter at Creepy Crap Pod. That's Creepy Crap Pod on Twitter. Or you can check out the podcast related videos on YouTube at Creepy Crap Podcast. Subscribe to the channel on there. Creepy Crap Podcast is also on Facebook. You can follow the page on there like that. Or you could get the personal page, Daniel Crapstar. That's Facebook, Creepy Crap Podcast, or Daniel Crapstar. And for the main home of the podcast, you can follow on Instagram at the Creepy Crap Podcast. You can send a message there, talk about a collaboration, suggest a movie, talk about promos, any that good stuff that's the creepy crap podcast on instagram and if you want to suggest the podcast to someone else you can get me on all the major podcast platforms that's right that's spotify itunes stitcher google podcast iHeartRadio, all of them you can go on there you can rate leave a review like follow all that good stuff download some episodes that's on all the major podcast platforms that's where you can listen or follow the creepy crap podcast so that was guest episode 5 of the Creepy Crap Podcast, Australia's favourite horror podcast with your host Daniel Craig, with special guest Anthony de Blasi, the director extraordinaire. What a history that guy's got. So many cool things he's done. It is amazing. A jealous. Anyway, to finish off the episode, we've got a great song called Rot, Rot, Rot from the Writhers. Who are the Writhers? This if you don't know, but I'll tell you all about them. They've got quite the little bio. Thanks Rick a treat, by the way, for hooking this up, brother. And this is a little something they prepared earlier. The writhers will make you writhe. Praised for their dark, cohesive, aesthetic, and energized attention-grabbing stage presence, this San Diego horror punk, psychobilly, gothic rock outfit is sure to leave you convulsing on the floor. If horror punk breaks the commonplace punk rock mold, then the writhers strive to break horror punk. Not only by incorporating rockabilly and goth musical styles, but also by tossing in a taste of art house, garage, and the avant-garde into the mix. A sporadic sound with lyrics ranging from thoughtful to campy. Something for everyone and no one at the same time, ensuring their place as your least favourite band. So this is the writhers with their track, Rot, Rot, Rot. Thank you for listening to the Creepy Crap Podcast, Australia's favourite horror podcast, with special guests. Anthony de Blasi. Thank you everyone for listening. This is The Rivers. Catch you next week.
Mystic K all day.